Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And so today we want to look at another piece of God's character, and we want to stand back and marvel at our God. And by the way, I want to tell you something. When I, I believe God loves it so much when we look at this book and we um, think about Him and marvel and say, man, what a God we have. I just think God loves that so much. I know God loves that so much. Anyway, I hear more and more people say, come quickly, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, especially after a news broadcast. You know, I, I look at Revelation 22.20, and Lord, come quickly. That's the second last verse in the Bible. Actually, that's kind of what God wants to leave us with as, as Scripture ends. It says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And come Lord Jesus should be the continual heart's cry of every true believer. And the deal is, Jesus did promise to come again, and we need to look at that promise. It's in John chapter 4. We say, come Lord Jesus, or Jesus come quickly. And I look at John chapter 4 and his promise to do that very thing. John chapter 14, I'm sorry. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's interesting because he said it the evening before he would suffer and die. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, meaning the Father. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, King James's mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself, that you also may be where I am. And so he has a promise. He gave us a promise to come back. I want to give you my my or a commentary, let's say, in our American culture today, and this is not original with me, wiser men than me have said and written this, but I believe God has circles of protection around this nation and other nations, and I believe that the further we get from the center of God with God's will, the more God removes those circles of protection. I believe that. And I, I think we see it in nature. There's more tornadoes than I can ever remember. Typhoons and tidal waves, and not just ty typhoons and tidal waves. I mean, they're severe. And lots of earthquakes, and, and not just earthquakes, but massive earthquakes like the one in China. And I see God removing his hand of protection, those circles of protection or blessing, if you want to call it that, in the jobless rate, in the oil crunch, and stuff like that. But I also believe, well, I also see God working through these to draw his, his people his church, okay, his, his beloved believers into greater dependence on him for everything. I see that. He's, he's drawing us into greater dependence. And so ultimately, we cry out as a church, as we cry out as believers, we cry out, come quickly, Lord, come quickly, because you're the only one who can help us. You're the only one who can save us. And that's what he wants. Now, remember, Jesus made that promise to come again. And listen, he will be faithful to that promise. He really will be faithful to that promise, because I just think about Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, you've got um, all the wicked armies of the world, all the wicked armies of the world, and they're amassed on the plains of Megiddo called Armageddon outside Jerusalem. Inside Jerusalem are all these converted Jews, and this whole, this whole wicked army is amassed against them, led by the beast or led by the Antichrist. And maybe inside the city they're crying, Lord, you said you're going to come again. Where are you? <laughs> that whole army is outside. More people than we can possibly number. 
And then God inspires John to say this, to write this in John 19, 11, Just then I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, and the rider who called Faithful and True wielded his sword, and the word of God tells us that the sword was the sword of his mouth. Now what's that? That's the word of God. So you've got that whole army amassed against the Jews outside the plains of Megiddo. The battle of Armageddon is about to take place, and what you don't have, what you don't have is two equal forces of good and evil. What you do have is the Lord on a white horse surrounded by his saints coming in linen robes, and that would kind of itch, but the Bible says he comes and become coming in linen robes, and, um, and, and by the sword that came out of his mouth, he, he, he destroyed him, because he doesn't need us in the battle. He doesn't need weapons of warfare. He just utters his voice, and here's what happens in Revelation 19, verse 21, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of his mouth. He wielded no sword, that's the word of God, the mouth of the rider on the horse, and listen to this, all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now, here's the upshot of this whole deal. Jesus made a promise to come again, and he fulfilled that promise to come again. He came. I'm speaking as if it already happened, because God is faithful. It's going to happen, because he's faithful to what he commits to. And we've talked about the power of God a couple of weeks ago, the wisdom of God last week. So let's look at this aspect of God's character today. Let's look at the faithfulness of God. What does it mean to be faithful? Is to honor your promises. I mean, I didn't look at a dictionary, but when you're faithful, you can be trusted. You can trust him. You can trust God. That's the title of this message. And that has a lot to say about our lives, too, and our commitment level. Do people trust you and me? And I want to go way back today as we look at the Word of God. I want to go way back in time to um, the time of Abraham. And the Bible tells us that Abraham lived in Haran when God called him out of Haran to the land of Canaan. But he lived in Haran, which is north and east of the land of the Jews. But also living at the very same time was this guy who lived in the land of Uz, Uz, which is south of the land of the Jews and to the east a little bit. And you know his name. His name was Job. I just, excuse me, I just mentioned it like that to, um, to let you know that Job and Abraham were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. And the book of Job is regarded as by scholars, by whatever that means, as being the oldest book in the Bible. It was probably recorded even before Moses sat down to record Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the book of Job comes to us right before the book of Psalms. And go to um, the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz which, like I said, is a little bit south of the land of the Jews and over to the east a little bit. There lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So he was blameless and upright, feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. He had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. So God blessed him. He was blameless and upright. He feared the Lord and shunned evil. Now, here's what you need to know. We need to know that throughout the Old Testament, people believed that if you were wealthy and had good health and you were blessed, you were in God's favor. And if just the opposite were true, if you had poor health and you weren't wealthy, you were poverty-stricken and destitute, you were out of God's favor. That's how people thought. Remember, wealth and prosperity meant you were in God's favor, and poverty and sickness meant you were out of God's favor. So you ask, why is the book of Job in the Bible? The book of Job is in the Bible to tell us that ain't so. That's just not so how people, and it's so easy to think that way, and that's why God gave us the book of Job. The book of Job is in the Bible to tell us that people who suffer, people who have little, people who are sick and suffering and destitute, God loves those folks with the love beyond words. 
Now, in Job 1, Satan bargains with God, and God baited him. I love the way God did this. God dangled a carrot. And why did he dangle the carrot? Because God wanted to do a work in Job's life. And Satan took the bait. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? He's dangling the carrot. Look at that. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like this dude, man. Well, it doesn't say dude. I mean, there's no one like him. I mean, he is blameless. He's upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine Satan? You got this guy on this earth who's just blameless and upright. He shuns all evil. You're not getting to this guy. And now Satan, man, he's teeming, man. I'll tell you, he took that bait. He ate that carrot. So verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? I mean, you bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will curse you to your face. Know what Satan's saying? Leave me at him. Give me a chance. Give me a shot. One shot. Come on. Wait, verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your hands. Now notice the limits, but on the man himself... God said, don't lay a finger. You can touch his stuff, but don't touch him. Don't take his life. Now, here's a couple interesting things here, because Satan had to ask permission. He had to ask permission to touch Job's life. And God gives permission. Satan always has to ask God's permission before he comes into your life. Let's say you think you're being attacked by Satan. People tell me that all the time. I'm being attacked by Satan. You're probably not. Probably your own sin that has caused the mess in your life. Probably not Satan, your own sin. I can support that in Scripture, too. People like to make such a big deal out of Satan. Why don't you make a bigger deal out of Jesus and less a deal out of Satan? Anyway, let's just say Satan is attacking you, okay? Satan is attacking you, okay? You're under attack. People tell me this all the time. This happened, this happened, this happened. I'm under attack. You've got to remember something. You are not under attack unless God allowed Satan into your life. If you believe you're being attacked, God had to say yes to the devil. And once God said yes to the devil, he had to establish a purpose. So he did with Job for letting the devil into your life. There had to be a purpose for that. And maybe the purpose is just to start people praying for you that God would call Satan off. I don't know. But that's another message. We'll talk about that another time. I mean, so all these terrible things begin to happen to Job. He loses everything. Servants, family, wealth, health, the whole deal. And his friends try and comfort him, but they believe this nonsense that wealth is a sign of God's favor and suffering is a sign of his disfavor. And so they start railing at Job. They say, Job, we never knew you, you know? And we've been friends all these years, and look what's happening to you. You've been living a lie all these years. You've been living a double life, man. So come clean with God. That's what his friends and comforters say, because they believe that stupid lie, that wealth is a sign of God's favor, see? So come clean with God. They had no clue, folks, as to what really was happening. Now, here's where this is going. Job knew God to be faithful. Talking about the faithfulness of God. He knew God made a promise to Adam to send a Savior. He knew that God destroyed the world with the flood and God totally restored the world. He knew about this guy, Enoch. He knew about Enoch, that Enoch was, see, that was oral tradition, oral history. He knew that God took, took Enoch to heaven alive because God was so pleased with him, see? He knew all that. He knew his God. 
God had been faithful to every promise he ever made to Job. God answered every prayer. If Job had an issue, God gave him wisdom. God was faithful and Job trusted God. And there's some great stuff to remember in this Bible passage, in this, in this book of Job, man. If you have a pencil, you may want to mark this. I'm just looking at Job 20, 1 verse 20. Job goes through all this anguish. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, Job 1.20, and shaved his head. Now look what he did. He didn't curse God. He fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord taken, hath taken away. The Lord gave and the Lord's taken away. And then he said, may the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with any wrongdoing. We love to blame God. See, after he lost everything, he worshiped God. He never blamed God. And then your memory work for today, our memory work, mine too. Job 13, 15. This is an amazing passage. Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And the word hope really means trust. He's a faithful God. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, or I will trust in him. And then you get to those passages that so many of us know in Job 19. Beginning in verse 23, now you got to understand what's happened to this guy. Verse 23, oh, that my words were recorded. Oh, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Look at verse, I got this circled. I know. I want, I want generations to, I want this to be inscribed so generations see this inscribed on a rock. And I want them to, I want them to read this as my legacy, Job says. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth, man. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. He clung to the faithfulness of God. And immediately, immediately my thoughts went to the Son of God. Immediately my thoughts as I read that went to Matthew chapter 17. And I'm just going to Matthew chapter um, 17. And I'm reading verse... 22. They, Jesus and his disciples, came together in Galilee. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. He said they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. He spoke about his betrayal, he spoke about his death, but Jesus never spoke about his suffering, his death, his betrayal, anything without talking about the resurrection. He always concluded any discourse on his suffering and death, talking about the resurrection. Why? Because he knew it was coming, and he clung to his father's faithfulness, I'll tell you. Job's not Jesus. Jesus never cried to the heavens and said, I'm innocent. See, Job did. For 30 chapters, Job cries out, and he says, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. I've got to finish that story, you know? I've got to finish that story. For 30 chapters, Job cried out, and he said, I'm innocent. I can't understand this. God, what are you doing? The book ends like this. God restores everything to Job. Job 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as before. In verse 12 of Job 42, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than he blessed the first. And so God was faithful and restored everything. But Jesus never cried out, I'm innocent. I don't deserve this. Job did a bunch of times, but he never, ever, ever gave up on God. Do you ever give up on God? We'll talk about that. God is faithful. Why is God faithful? Because he committed himself to you and to me. God committed himself. He committed himself. There's commitment. I, I think about how God commits himself. I was thinking about that the other day. 
And I'm reading Psalm 135. This is verse 4. For God has chosen Jacob. Just listen to this. Don't don't look at this. Take your outline home and you can look at this. For God has chosen Jacob, meaning the Jews, to be his own. Israel to be his treasured possession. So God chose the Jews, Israel, to be his own. And then the Jews, his treasured possession, turned their backs on God and they worshiped the Baals. And the Bible says it like this. They committed spiritual adultery. Now remember, God is faithful. God disciplined the Jews. I mean, all kinds of captivity and suffering and all that stuff, but God never deserted them because he promised in the word that the Jewish nation would never cease to exist. He said a remnant will will, will survive anything the devil's going to throw at him. There will always be a remnant of Jews. They will survive. In Romans 11, God says all Israel, Paul says God, all Israel will be saved. And that simply means that when Jesus Christ comes again, that all the remaining Jews on this earth will turn to Christ and they will be saved, see? And he will come out of the clouds on a white horse and deliver him for eternity. Now, you got to think about that promise, that commitment to the Jews. Nations have risen and fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Rome, Alexander the Great, the Third Reich, where are they today? But right there in the center of our earth is a nation called Israel, most of whom still look for a Messiah. But it's there today and always will be till he comes again because God committed himself to them. And he honors that commitment. Nothing stops his commitment. See, he's faithful. Now look at Ephesians chapter 1, where the word of God tells me in Ephesians chapter 1 that God committed himself to me, to you, and to every single believer. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, For he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Again, he chose us in Christ before the world ever began to stand holy and blameless, I'm adding my own interpretation here on the last day, in his sight, in love. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. And so God pledged, before the world ever began, God pledged to save me and to save every single believer, okay? He committed himself to every believer's salvation, that includes me. But there was a glitch in this deal named Adam because his wife said, eat this fruit. And Adam said, yes, dear. Adam was given headship and that was rebellion. He said, yes, dear. And he should have stood up for what was right. See, and here's the bad news. I mean, I mean, I got, I got Adam's sin nature that that was handed down to me. God committed himself to me despite my sin. And folks, God is just, and he could not sweep those sins under the rug. He had to deal with them and he did. God the Father sent his son into the world to live as a man. And after living perfectly, his son Jesus Christ himself died. Bottom line, God punished my sin in him. God the Father satisfied his justice. That's doctrinal, but he satisfies justice by punishing my sin. My sin got punished. It was not ignored. But the one who suffered for my sin was not me. It was Jesus Christ. And then the Father brought him back from the grave. That, folks, is commitment that God had a deal with your sins and my sins because he pledged to save us. Read Ephesians 1. That's commitment. And if you ever think the Father has forgotten about you, man, there it is. But there it is right there. There it is right there. If you ever think the Father's forgotten, you want to see a sign of commitment, there it is. Um, I hope you have a cross in a couple of places in your house. And look at that cross and let it remind you that God is committed to you and me. And folks, that comes down to you and me, man. Are you committed? Am I committed? 
See, we're talking about commitment, how God committed himself to us, because I think about that, and then I see uh, people get all bent out of shape and threaten to leave because he or she isn't meeting my needs. And I wanted to say that is so lame. I don't even mean marriage, too. I think about you know, just about any relationship. Maybe you have a girlfriend, and, and, and you're putting everything into the relationship, and she's putting in nothing. Or maybe your brother or sister. You take care of your mom and dad, and there's your brother and sister, and they let you do all the work. See, I mean, there are felt needs. And in a committed relationship, you address those needs, especially in marriage. You don't bolt, man. You don't bail out. You address those needs because relationships, committed relationships are two-way streets. This person perceives you're not meeting his or her needs. And commitment demands that you pledge to work on that. I mean, they share that with you. This need isn't being met. And you don't get defensive. And you don't say, well, okay, I don't meet that need in you, but here's a hundred you don't meet in me. That's what we want to say, right? That gets you nowhere. That's spinning your wheels. You're in a committed relationship and you decide, all right, some things in my life have to change. We can make this work. That's commitment. God committed to you. He accepted your sin. You can meet somebody else's needs. He met your deepest needs. And he punished his son. Got a cross anywhere in your home? Look at that cross and think, God's committed to me. What a God we have. How about giving your word, see? I mean, your word should be sacred. The Bible makes your word sacred. What did Jesus say? Christ say? He said, let your yes be a yes and let your no be no. He's saying, honor your word. If you commit to something, listen, if you accept any kind of responsibility, honor that. I mean, that's biblical, folks. If you accept, if you commit to anything, you need to honor that commitment because that is your word. You need to honor your word. The Bible is so big on honoring your word. I wanted to go through all these Bible passages, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to go to Psalm 15, where David asked the question, what is a blameless life that God can honor? And then he lists all those qualities. And in verse four, one of the qualities is someone who keeps his oath, his word, even when it hurts. You made a promise, you gave your word, but now you're out of time. You don't feel like doing this anymore. You're not interested anymore. Well, God said this, you keep your word, even when it hurts. See, when someone is faithful, folks, you can trust them. God is faithful and Job trusted him. Listen, I can't even imagine Jesus suffering. His love for his father was so perfect. And he knew going in, when he came into this world, he knew going in that one day he would bear the father's wrath against your sin and my sin. But Job wasn't Jesus. Still, his suffering is about as close to unimaginable as you can get. All his kids, his servants, his wealth, all gone, destitute, childless. His own wife scorned him because he didn't curse God. He's sitting in an ash heap, scraping the boils off his body, and all the time thinking, God, I loved you. God, I did everything to obey you. But he didn't desert him. He didn't deny him. I mean, he clung to his father's love and faithfulness. He didn't blame him. He worshiped him. He didn't give up on him. He said, and this is our memory work in Job 15, 13, though he slay me, I will trust in him. Put that in your heart. Take it home. Even if his life circumstances never changed, he would still cling to God's faithfulness. He would, God would send that Redeemer that he promised to Adam. I know that my Redeemer lives in, and I will. One day, one day in my flesh, alive with the body, I will see God with trust. Listen, when you trust God at all costs like that, when you trust God because he is faithful to who he is, you're really going to 
you're really going to inspire people. Let me say that again. When you trust God like Job trusted God, you cling to him. No matter what happens, you're going to be an inspiration to people and really believe, really believe that he will not fail you, man. You exude hope. You reek with hope, man. You want to reek with hope. That, that's where this is going. You want to reek with hope. You inject something into people's lives they desperately need. They need hope, man. They need a God they can trust. They need a God who doesn't go back on his word. A God who is committed to them regardless of, of what may come down the pike of life. A God that loves them and a God that will see them through anything and you can, you, you, you can present that God. And when you exude that kind of hope, you know, your whole life takes on a new dimension. When you're going through something, do you moan or do you exude hope? You know, I looked at Matthew chapter 6. Christ is talking about worrying about food and clothes and all that stuff. He says, birds don't worry and lilies don't worry. And you say, yeah, but birds and lilies don't have the, have the worry gene that I have, you know. I mean, Jesus knows you, man, and he makes this promise. Matthew 7, listen, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you are so anxious about, I added that, they will be given to you as well. If for whatever reason you have no income, he will continue to provide and he will bring you to a place where you will have an income. I have yet in this whole ministry of 40 some years to see that fail. I mean, it just makes so much sense, that promise. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That means just put him first. That means in everything obey. That means assess your life and look for areas of disobedience and where you see him, start going on the right track. It means be aggressive in your pursuit of an income, but trust that promise. Trust him. Or this is just a bunch of words. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.